It's just you got to mm-hmm. throw a glove on it. And I think every character is better with gloves. Like, they can be, like, fingerless gloves. They can be, like, mesh. Mm-hmm. They can be the big cartoony Rayman gloves where it's his whole hand is a oh. floating glove. Where it's to yeah. the point where, like, probably not even <laughs> yeah. hands in there. Probably mm-hmm. just glove. It's probably just a glove. Animate gloves. No, no bones, just glove. That's why I've always thought Glover was so cool. Oh, hello, everybody. Welcome to Demonstrate the Loop. We're a Magic the Gathering podcast doing everything from deck text discussions to set dice sections. And today and tonight and whenever you listen to this, uh, mm. we are continuing our our November theme. And of, finishing. Also. And finishing. Oh, um, oh, right. So this is, it is the yes, end. it's a continuation as well as a finishing <laughs> of of yeah. our um, uh-huh. uh, bringing people into commander uh, kind of a theme. Was there a better term we had for it, Drew, that I have forgotten? Uh, I, I think uh. what we've been saying is just it's inviting people to the table, but that's just as many words. And if anything, I think is more confusing. Yeah, well, I think inviting to the table had more of a Thanksgiving vibe to it on account yeah. of his big yeah, meal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. we're continuing that talking about, uh, 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 a topic that I brought in, but before that I will, uh, do some introductions. I already introduced Drew because I had a genuine question. Uh, Drew say hello. <laughs> Hi, I'm Drew. And then I did not ju- ask Josh any questions and I won't this whole episode. I promise Josh. Ooh. Uh, hello. I'll still talk anyway. Thank you. Today's episode, mm. we're going to be talking a little <laughs> bit about uh, deck construction. And mm-hmm. this is an episode more for enfranchised players, but also, I guess, newer players. You can follow these rules anyway if you want to. Um, and yeah. this is sort of um, things to maybe plug into your deck, some kind of deck ideas, construction tips for if you have someone new coming into the game and you don't want to just, you know, romp stomp all over them right out mm-hmm. the get-go, and maybe some mm-hmm. ways to be inclusive that aren't just like, you know, because obviously you could just give the advice, oh, well, if you want to like have a player be included, play Hug and just give everyone all the cards they need. You don't have to yeah. do that. There's plenty of cards in Magic that can include other players that aren't just giving them all the resources they need. So we're going to be touching on some of those, some some little bits, some spicy things. Um, and so I guess we'll just... Um, Hop right into it. Anybody else had anything at the start that they wanted to kind of explain further? I mean, no, that's that's pretty much it. It's kind of the and I I do think again, like you might um, if you're if you're newer. Hopefully, you know, there's always going to be something for everybody in every episode. Hmm. But I definitely think this episode is more so going to be kind of geared towards um, you've got a friend that has been that that you're wanting to get into the game right and. And there's going to be some training wheels there. So I think it's the kind of thing of like, how can you just play the game normal, still have fun for yourself, but mm-hmm. also what, what, like what levers can you pull to make the game better for someone who is new to the format or new to the game potentially? Yeah. yeah and yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll just be going over, um, you know, certain cards, maybe things that you could take out of your deck to, um, to maybe mm-hmm. help, ease that along the inspiration uh for this episode um i'm I'm pretty sure the title might even have been something i remember you came (laughs) up with a good title for it at one point drew specifically about the card um uh volcanic offering but that card is a really good starting point and an example of a card that is just here's a card that you can throw into your deck it does not help 
It does not help your opponents in any way, and it just lets another player also help you do a mean thing. Um, right. So I'll, I'll explain yeah. the card. Mm-hmm. It is a red instant. It is four and one red, an instant speed spell. It says destroy target non-basic land you don't control and target non-basic land of an opponent's choice that you don't control. So this card helps no one. This card specifically mm-hmm. might screw up one person twice, chosen by two different people. <laughs> Another thing I really like about the first half of this card, because uh, there is a second half, and I'll get to it in a second, is that mm-hmm. another thing in magic that's kind of like a touchy thing is blowing up lands. You're not really supposed to blow up lands that much. Non-basics, I think, are fine uh, in, right. in the big in the big grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one lets the new player, it's your card, but the new player gets to skirt <laughs> around in that area of just like, whoa, we're hold up. I thought we weren't supposed to. And it's like, yeah, but man, you got to pick one. They're like, oh, man, me? Mm-hmm. I get to blow up a land? <laughs> I'm going to blow up his land. It's like, yeah, okay. I'm also going to blow up one of his lands. And you just both just do the naughty thing. The second part of the spell is just volcanic offering. Deal seven damage to target creature you don't control and seven damage to target creature of an opponent's choice that you don't control. So that's also more often than not just going to kill something. It's just, hey, Mm I'm going to kill this thing. What do you want to kill? And they're just like, oh, can it be one of yours? And you're like, no, 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 it can't be one of mine. Because mm-hmm. because that's just how the card was. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. We remember they're new. I'm just going with it. And they say, like, okay, well, uh, yeah, sure. I don't want to blow up any of my things. Like, so I guess I'm gonna get one of that. I'll get that big thing or that small thing if they want to be nice. But it gets them playing the game without them having mm-hmm. to even play a card. And it also teaches the value. This card by itself teaches the value of threat assessment and removal. Because even if they don't get mm-hmm. rid of the big best thing, you can still get rid of the big best thing. And then they'll see that and they took part in it. And I think this card is just, it's just delightful. I like this card a whole time. It is very cute. And I, I, I want to point out kind of, so um, for people who already are more enfranchised players, um, Volcanic Offering probably set off an alarm bell in your head that this is part of a cycle. And I think there's something hmm. that's unique about, you know, maybe Volcanic Offering and Infernal Offering, the the black spell in that cycle, are, are a bit more what we're talking about. So like, to, to bring up a counterpoint, right? I think one of the most played here is Sylvan Offering. Mm-hmm. Sylvan Offering is X and a green, originally printed in a Commander Precon, but it's you choose an opponent, you and that player each make an X, X green tree folk, and then you choose an opponent, you and that player create X, one, one green elf warrior creature tokens. Specifically, the difference here, like, on, on their face, they're both things that you choose one of your opponents and you let them do a thing from your spell. But the difference here is that Sylvan Offering, there's no decisions to be made for that other player. It's just a thing that benefits them and benefits you, and mm-hmm. that's really it. Volcanic Offering is one that it, it empowers them to make a dis- it, it forces them to make a decision that impacts the board immediately. Um... Yeah, one that might be closer. I do think volcanic offering now looking at the cycle, I think is actually the best one here for this because the other ones are just kind of you get a benefit and opponent gets a benefit. But infernal offering, I think, is similar because it's a type of effect that a newer player might not put into their own deck. Yes, that is true. 
newer players mm-hmm. typically don't want to blow up their own creatures. They might not yeah. understand the benefit. And so this is a good teaching tool, Drew. Yeah, so Infernal Offering is four and a black for a sorcery. You choose an opponent. You and that player each sack a creature. Each player who sacked a creature draws two cards. You choose an opponent. Return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Then that player returns a creature card from his or her graveyard to the battlefield. So this, again, this is kind of... Um, I really like this one. Personally, I play a lot of Aristocrats, as I think I've said on the show before. But it's like this idea that once they're forced to make the call... They are now in a position where they can see that sacrificing one creature now, gaining two cards, there is a benefit there. And mm-hmm. then reanimation, again, reanimation is a kind of thing that somebody, like a new player may go all in on and then forget to put in like the creatures that they want to reanimate um, <laughs> as they kind of learn, they learn right. kind of the magic balance there. Um, but it, it's a type of effect where they get to just kind of see that the other ones in the offering cycle, like in like the blue one is just, you both draw cards. There's nothing mm-hmm. really, I think interesting gameplay wise there. Everybody knows it's good to draw cards. The white one is you make tokens and gain life. Again, everybody gets that. The green one is you make tokens. Like all of those yeah. are fine. I think those are fine to include in a deck, but I mean, especially if you're at a more political table, but the infernal offering and volcanic offering are so much better for if one of the players is newer and doesn't exactly you know just know all of the things that you learn from magic by learn about magic by playing these are cards that kind of force that player to learn something in a way that is at the end of it beneficial it does eventually it does at the end of this kind of benefit them in some way hmm yeah Sorry, I'm looking for a... I'm looking... Ah, okay. I had to find my list of a deck that I was working on. Um, oh, okay. But we cannot ignore... We cannot ignore... Um, obviously, there is one great big granddaddy, and franchise players know the great big granddaddy instant spell. Um, that's probably the inspiration for a lot of these offering-type cards. But the big one mm-hmm. that a lot of people are going to be familiar with, and it's good to show new players, is, is Factor Fiction. This is a card, it's a staple in a lot of blue decks, but Ah, Factor Fiction is another really good card that gets your opponents kind of working with you or against you in a certain way, but it lets them play the game even when it's not their turn. Even when you're doing something that's Mm -hmm. beneficial for you, they do have an impact pretty immediately um, with what happens. So Factor Fiction is three and one blue, it's an instant. You reveal the top five cards of your library. An opponent separates those cards into two piles, and you put one pile into your hand and the other into your graveyard. Um, mm-hmm. I personally, I love playing against anything like these. Like I would mm-hmm. always rather see an effect like this than just target. You know, just target player draws five cards. I target myself. It's like okay, great. Here's like, I'm a Got brainstorm it. and then shuffle. Awesome. No, I want. Because you can do some finagling, because something new players might not know of is the idea of, of you know, politicking. This is a perfect politicking card, because you know that if they're ahead, you're just like, well, I'm mm-hmm. going to put a bunch of lands here, and then I'm going to put, like, the one good thing here, just a 4-1 split of these five cards. Or maybe they don't do that, because they don't know. <laughs> but then the other people on the table can be like, well, hold on now. We can think about this. And then the other person can be like, well, hold on now. Don't listen to those two. Why don't you just, uh, you know, maybe there's something for you in there. If you give me a a better split and you know, the new player might just be like all gung ho, like, Hey, can I do a pile with zero and a pile with five? And they're just like, don't do that. And the person's like, you can do that. He's like, I'm going to do that. 
and then bam, now they're in their good graces. And that's the thing. It's, it's a type of politicking that, you know, normally you can just talk, but this one, it puts it in their hands saying, Hey, we can, this is literally you being my friend or me being your mm-hmm. friend. What's the mm-hmm. deal here, man? It's not just like, Hey, don't do this. Or I'm going to bounce your creature. This is the choice is literally yours. Plop those mm-hmm. things on me. Big Papa fact or fiction me lay them on me. And I love, mm-hmm. this is, this is, I think it's one of the best cards. It's also card advantage. It's just good. It's strong, right. but it's also fun. I love it when this happens and I'm chosen, or I love it when mm-hmm. things exactly like this happen and I'm chosen or not. I just mm-hmm. like to see it. I think right. they're really cute. Well, I see, love these. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that this opens up is like, uh, if you end up with a new player and they've built a deck and maybe they don't quite know how to balance things quite right. And if it's like, they're they are consistently not having something to do clearly this gives them something to do mm-hmm. it's not them playing their own deck but it is at least they are involved in the decision making and impacting the game and I, I think that's even on top of that factor fiction is um i it, this is not an original opinion of mine but it is one that i've mm. heard a lot that i really i wholeheartedly agree with factor fiction is a card it is a good player's card. It's almost like a litmus test for if you are a good magic player, like the decisions that go into making a good factor fiction pile for an opponent. And like, this is more in tournament magic spheres, but mm-hmm. like that, that gameplay moment is almost like the biggest test of your, you know, knowledge of the game, your skill at the game and choosing what one, mm-hmm. what, what what's the best split of the cards there that means that there's not a obviously optimal decision point there how can i manipulate what they're going to choose what do i think they're going for and it so and and i bring that up to say that factor fiction is i think such a perfect card for this kind of idea because it's not a card that you're going to feel bad for including in a deck in general. No. This doesn't have to just hmm. go into a deck that you've built for playing against somebody new. A tuned deck can run Factor Fiction and no one's going to turn their nose up at it. It's a good card. It's a thing where it kind of scales to the table. Because if you're in a sense where like maybe the new player has just... Uh, maybe there's a couple, there's like a group hug deck at the table and they're doing completely fine. You don't really need to involve yourself that way. It's a card that you can play for its face value where you're trying to get someone to make a suboptimal split because they don't know what card you're trying to get to and things like that. Yeah. So it's the thing where like, you don't actually have to make a concession in deck building or in gameplay to include this, but it's a card Mm -hmm. that by inclusion gives you that out in case, you know, if it's not the hell world going on or anything like that, <laughs> you can play it right. and choose that newer player to kind of let them dip their toes into this aspect of the game a bit more. But it's also one that you're not going to like hamper your deck by including. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's there's um. other cards that have been printed that do the similar type of thing, although slightly different. I oh, think yeah. the most recent one uh, that was in one of the newer Commander Precons... Uh, or it might be a little old at this point, but it's one that I really like. I wish I saw it more like just in like foot, like things I watch in our games. It'd be cool to see it's manifold mm-hmm. insights is great because it literally gets every player in there. You reveal it's a two and a blue for a sorcery. You reveal the top 10 cards of your library. And then starting with the next opponent in turn order, each opponent mm. chooses a different non-land card from among them. And then you put the chosen cards into your hand. And the rest mm-hmm. on the bottom of your library in a random order. 
So if you have, you know, three opponents, you're going to get three of those 10 cards into your hand chosen by them. And so if mm-hmm. you have like a, it's, it's that same thing, except this one gets the whole table involved. It gets everyone yeah. talking. They see an aspect of yeah. the game and then you still just get three cards for three mana. They might not be the mm-hmm. best cards, but you just treat it like a, you know, draw three and they weren't great. Or if somebody's mm-hmm. looking out for you at the table and you're lagging behind, then you might get two very good cards and then one card that's not great from the player who's in the lead. But either way, you get mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. only good. Yeah, and for some reason, it's, this reminds me like the fact that it, you know you start you go in turn order and people make their decisions in order. This reminds me of um, Will of the Council. That's what it is, right? From uh, Conspiracy. Yeah. Which mm. I hadn't thought about that previously for this discussion, but that's that's another one of those mechanics where like even if someone's not really managing to make a big impact on the game for whatever reason they're still involved and that there's there's clear obvious politics going on there that's kind of why yeah. that mechanic was designed but it's like you get to cast it and you probably have it in your deck because you're probably fine with either option happening in a will of the council situation mm-hmm. but it totally is the entire table can discuss and reach a consensus on what the table wants to have happen and yeah mm-hmm. that inevitably gets everyone in on the discussion and that's another one of those points where you could be explaining to a new player all right if we vote this way this is going to happen and that's going to be horrible for these reasons so let's all agree to not do that or you'll explain the options to the new player and they'll like the terrible option and then they get to choose that and I, I think it's actually kind of uh, kind of interesting here, right, with the Will of the Council cards. So, I mm-hmm. mean, like, uh, this is the thing you can just kind of search on Scryfall. It's going to bring up a couple. But, like, I think this is also very interesting because it's... You, you don't want to build a deck that's just educational because those mm-hmm. are cards that you own that you want to, you know, probably play with. But, like, some of the Will of the Council cards aren't bad. And I think that mm-hmm. if you're... They, they position you really well to be at a table again with a newer player and it'll kind of reframe how you play these, right? Because I think the drawback with all of the council, because you give up some control about what the effect is going to be to the rest of the table. These are a lot more conditional. You have to be really smart about when you play cards like this, because it's um, a, a, a mechanic word or a mechanic phrase that we're probably going to talk about later is the friend or foe from BattleBot, which I think is the mm-hmm. inverse of this. But like Will of the Council oh, is almost yep, a card. Yep, yep, oh, yep. Yeah. They're almost yeah. a series or a cycle of cards, uh, not a cycle, because but you you almost have to play them from the back foot. You to get the most value out of. Uh, I'm going to use Council's Judgment because I know it's the most popular one as the example. Hmm. Like Council's Judgment, one and two white for a sorcery. Will of the Council. So starting with you, each player votes for a non-land permanent that you don't control. Exile each permanent with the most votes or tied for the most votes. So the ideal for you or for most players when this spell is cast is that Mm -hmm. three different things get chosen so that you get the maximum value. You effectively have a second copy of Grasp of Fate in your deck if that happens, um, except it's permanent. So Hmm. the the trade-off here is that if you're ahead right the table will unite against you and effectively you have like a very expensive uh swords to plowshares here (laughs) at sorcery speed um where they can just override you also so it's not great 
but this mm-hmm. is a card that is you know it's its ceiling is very high it has a very high ceiling for its mana cost or what its effect can be mm-hmm. and it, it it kind of incentivizes you as a person playing this card again in in a hypothetical table or one of the players is new right maybe they're new to the play group whatever to kind of involve them one they're gonna have to be involved by like why they choose what they choose but also it's your kind of you're not having to teach somebody like a lot of people may adopt like this mindset of like, Oh, well, if I beat them with this combo, then they learn. So I taught them. And that's not really what we're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Cause it's not <laughs> exactly the most fun way to learn. No, that's and not so, how I want to learn. And so this is a way that they can have, like they can even screw you over, but that's something that they can actively learn. And uh-huh. this is a card that really allows for that kind of flexibility. All of the Will of the Council cards do to some extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like Council Judgment, I, th- I just know is the most popular one. Um, oh, yeah. Well, and, and so then it, it, in yeah. the newest cycle, in or mm-hmm. not, I guess newest, it's still kind of old at this point, but Conspiracy 2 actually did away mm-hmm. with the idea of um, most votes. Council's Dilemma works on for each vote, do one of the other ones. So like yeah. uh, Savala Stampede, we'll, we'll do oh, right. we'll do Capital Punishment because Savala Stampede is just really really good. Uh, yes, now you know what? Screw it, I'll do it. Savala Stampede. <laughs> it is four and green green sorcery. Uh, it has Council's Dilemma. Starting with you, each player votes for wild or free, and you reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card for each wild vote, and put those cards onto the battlefield and shuffle the rest into your library. You may put a mm-hmm. permanent card from your hand onto the battlefield for each free vote. And so this one actually takes each individual choice and applies it that way, as opposed to will of the council being whatever's the most votes is this. So Bala Stampede says, mm-hmm. well, if there's two wild votes and two free votes, I get to do two of each. And and that's mm-hmm. also, yeah. you know, if, if you don't like the, you know, if you're trying to kind of, I guess, spike out, but still be, <laughs> teaching people um decisions you know mm-hmm. it's this is another direction to go like the the black one's good it's death or taxes uh, they discard a card for each tax vote sack a creature for each death vote and it's just that simple so like if the new player's just like well i don't have any creatures uh death <laughs> make it i'll sack a creature sure <laughs> why not i don't care yeah and that's well, and, that, and, and that's, that's kind of the key thing there yeah, because like it's you know Savala Stampede that that is a card that I personally run. Um, for as oh, many I love it. I, I love that card. It's, it's, it's an extremely so good. good card. But like you 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 want to think of like in in a gameplay scenario one. So like that's a card again, and I think kind of the core thing. I, I think the best examples here will be cards that you're not gonna you're not gonna feel embarrassed by running in like general game. Savala Stampede's a good card. You know, you might say that if you're at a very tuned and optimized table six CMC for a game that doesn't win on this or for a card that doesn't win on the spot may not be what you're looking for, but in a general, you know, more social table. Savala Stampede is a card that its ceiling is very high. You're going to get some stuff for free or some stuff for free off the top of your deck. As long as you don't play it whenever you have an empty hand, otherwise like a fool, (laughs) like an actual doofus. And and you have to think also, so from the other side of the table, right? Your, your, your opponents are going to make this decision and they're going to kind of already have this context, but this for a newer player it then gives them the opportunity to have to try to gauge what they think your deck is going to have in it 
to make the best decision, right? And this is the thing, again, it kind of, it's, you, over a long enough period of time, you're going to play in enough games where you're going to learn some of these skills. So Vala Stampede, though, is a card that forces you to kind of confront this skill set that a lot of, you know, veteran Magic players will pick up on right now, where it's like, hey, new player, do you think that I'm going to have something better in my hand? Or am I banking on you giving me something good off of my deck because I have nothing in hand? And that's kind of a thing where they have to, that's part of the politics. That's part of the mind, the head game. And they have to learn how to play that. Same as factor fiction in a way. Where they have to try to gauge of what cards do you need to do what you're what you're trying to do right now out of these five? How can I split those? And it's the same kind of card. It's again, it's it's floor is high enough that you're not going to be embarrassed about running this kind of card in the deck, but its ceiling creates an interesting choice for your opponents to make, and especially for a player who's newer, where they have to. That's a, that's kind of a muscle that you have to kind of stretch more in commander than you do in other formats. Now, there are ways of um, including your opponents that might not be ideal for a new player. Um, and I'm not going to touch on too many of these, but it, there are some mm-hmm. things that kind of are working in the same vein of like, ah, choices, choices that need to be made. But let's, let's just do a real quick touch on something that might not uh, be something that a new player wants to do necessarily. Uh, mm-hmm. right off the bat um, things like order of succession you choose left or mm-hmm. right and then starting with you and proceeding in the chosen direction each player chooses a creature controlled by the next player <laughs> in that direction and then each player gains control of the creature he or she chooses now the new player if you know that they're going to be fine with mm-hmm. shenanigans um, then maybe maybe you know you can yeah. feel it out and do it but typically speaking um, it's kind of a chaosy card, and in addition to it being a chaosy card, it's also a right. gain control effect that doesn't end at end of turn, which is a second thing that people typically mm-hmm. don't really like, especially you know if a yeah. new player's coming up and they're excited about their deck, and they're just like, "Ooh, my deck! Mm-hmm. I'm so happy to bring my deck!" And then it's just like, "Well, I'm going to give you <laughs> right. like yeah. I'm going to take your like uh, Gashath. Uh, I want it." And then, you know, you hand yeah. them like a, a sapperling, you know, that might feel a little bad, right. but there is, there are some cards that I think, um, can kind of help with this thing while still giving you a pretty okay. big advantage while still being a little chaotic. Um, uh-huh. and let me know what your guys' opinion on it is because yeah, yeah, this yeah. card does help the whole table. It is a little huggy, but if your deck is built for this kind of stuff, the advantage is going to always be in your favor, but this is mm. one of my favorite cards. It's Oath of Druids. At the beginning of each oh, player's okay, upkeep, yeah. uh, it's one in a green enchantment. Uh, at the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player chooses target player who controls more creatures than he or she does and is his or her opponent. The first player may reveal cards from the top of their library until he or she reveals a creature card. If they do, they put it onto the battlefield and they just mill everything else. Now, this is a card mm-hmm. that I think for new players, one, it helps them stay in the game. There's not yeah, necessarily yeah, yeah. choice, but it helps them... First off, they're going to see a card that's just like, you put them into play for free. Mm-hmm. This is like, you can just do this. Cause I don't know how obvious that is of the idea of cheating right. into play. And you're playing this mm-hmm. and you're letting them yeah. do it. Yeah. Typically you're going to be putting in better things more often than mm-hmm. not. Like you wouldn't run this if your deck was just like a whole bunch of ones and two drops that are like one twos that like say yeah. you can't activate artifacts or something like your collector mm-hmm. deck isn't going to want to run an oath of druids. But, you know, if you're yeah. just playing, like, big beaters, dinosaurs or something, 
then this mm-hmm. card is not a bad choice, I don't think. It yeah. gives advantage to the table, but it's not quite as direct as like, hey, I'm going to pay 15 you get 15 uh, one ones, you get a 15 mm-hmm. 15, and then the third player has nothing. I wonder who we should kill. It's not right. quite like that. There's, yeah, yeah. there's a random element to it, but the result should always be enjoyable. The end result yeah. is always going to be fun for the new person because it's like, oh, cool, my thing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's always a, a, a good end yeah. goal, unless like they're playing like some kind of really crazy token deck, in which case, you know. But that's just, you know, there's quarter yeah. cases for everything. That's one archetype, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. helping it's helping them play their own deck, which is a good feel over just straight up giving them things out of your deck, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And I do like that this has the potential to fix two different situations if some player is stuck in the mud. it Because this fixes, A, if you just have like a really terrible hand and don't have a good way to get new cards, and so you just don't have anything to play, this random mount's a good creature. Or if they have a decent hand, but they can't afford to cast any other good stuff, they've still got an option to get something out. It does have the obvious uh, benefit of having that little bit of a game balancing out to where if they have just absolutely nothing, so long as someone has something, they they get the opportunity to get in the game. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely think the, the random element of it just coming off the top that um, that balances out it being, that help to them but it's not like just a straight up boon get something real good it might be good or they might just get something Um, it's the kind of thing where where like it's i can see my opponent go off and if i'm new to magic i can then i can through that experience understand like okay going off is technically possible even if i had to get beaten over the head by it this time mm-hmm. maybe in the future i can do good and i can get and i can get to do that it's the kind of but it's the i think the kind of trick there right it's wizards has this um philosophy that i it's i want to get out in front and say that i don't actually entirely agree with this but they they mm-hmm. use it for card design but it's the idea that like wizards will shy away from certain types of effects because they are they create a negative player experience with the potential end result being that that player does not play the game again after that right and i think the the idea here is that like and i mean with every example that we've given here you can teach a player what is possible in magic by just going off and be like see you could do this but i think you have to like recognize that that's just like that is not as cool for a new player as them getting to actively do anything it can be something small they can flip a land or elves off an oath Mm -hmm. of druids and that is cooler to them in the scope of oh what what can i do with magic than you playing crater hoof and it will always be that and Mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of where it's like oath of druids is a thing where it's again they may not you know win the game off of this most of the times they won't they don't people don't build decks anticipating oath of druids to be at the table but right it's a thing that can correct for a new player's suboptimal deck building, you know, to be mm-hmm. generous where like, you know, they may not have built their curve perfectly. They may have overstuffed it with high CMC creatures and they still get to, they still get to see like, okay, like after the game, I was able to this time, you know, drop my silver clad and all my cool big <laughs> dinosaurs. But 
really that was just because this player played oath of druids if i right. want to have that really good play experience more often and so they i can also kind of need pursue... to play oath of druids yeah i also need to play oath of druids <laughs> and then more people are playing this great card but it, yeah. it's like where that, that player goes that player pursues more of their mm-hmm, own fun mm-hmm. more so than they're pursuing your fun the fun that you got to have Right. right where they go like oh okay i now have a positive experience i can associate this with i want to have that more that i think is going to be that that's going to lead somebody more more often to i can build my deck better to take advantage and do this more often more mm-hmm. so than seeing somebody else go off because i think a lot of people's first takeaway there is going to be like well they just have better cards than me i'm never going to get that good and that's and that's unattainable Oath of Druids lets them do that with their deck, with their cards, with their decision making, so that it's kind of an empowering way to let them also play that kind of stuff. Right. And now I definitely, because I really kind of had a question on this and I wanted feedback because I know that like when I was getting started at the game and just still now, I, I definitely like some random elements. Um, Sure it shakes things up to where even if someone's in the lead, uh, that doesn't mean that that can't change drastically. Um, but I wondered what you guys would feel about, uh, for getting a new player involved, a card like time sifter. Now time sifter is a five drop artifact. Uh, what it says is at the beginning of each upkeep, each player exiles the top card of his or her library the player who exiled the card with the highest converted mana cost takes an extra turn after this one. Uh, if two players are tied for the highest, they repeat the process. Um, this, I mean, the question is because it's like, obviously, this gives a good chance. Well, it gives a chance at least for potentially anyone who's fallen behind get an extra turn uh get back in the game but of course it does also open up the possibility that the player who is drastically in the lead might get an extra turn and continue to to blow everyone out uh but for i know for me like when i was starting and even now that possibility doesn't bother me because it's true random essentially Mm mm-hmm how do you guys feel about yeah, that? Yeah, well, in any of the decks that you play against, like there are plenty of decks that do top deck manipulation, but there's not too yeah, many yeah, of them yeah, yeah. In, in our meta. So yeah, I do get that. I think uh-huh. that a card like Time Sifter, I feel like it's a little too... I don't want to say it's a little too powerful, but I do want to say mm-hmm. that that card could potentially be a make or break for a new person in regards to... This is either going to be incredibly mm-hmm. encouraging... <laughs> They're going to think it's really cool because they happen to take three extra turns and play their silly deck or, and this is another one of the things similar to like um, gain control effects, maybe too much chaos for a new player. Uh, Uh, uh. In general, getting your turn skipped and taking extra turns is, is kind of a, not a great thing, even though it is true random, but like even if that Mm -hmm. true random happens to line up, where the, that player takes no extra turns and one player <laughs> takes three, even if it's true right, random, it right. will not feel that way. Right. It, it's not going to feel the, the same. It's gonna, it'll feel like, oh, they took three turns, I skipped three turns. And even more uh-huh. if the person taking all the extra turns is like first in that rotation. Because then that means that after mm-hmm. those skipped turns, every other player gets to go before they do. <laughs> so like there's yep. potential for yep. huge blowouts where the new player could potentially get really discouraged. I could see that being mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I consider it being either a tremendous boon or a tremendous folly. I, do, I don't think there's too much in between with that. I'll sure. tell you, I'll tell yeah. you this, right? So, so I like with, with time sifter, uh, you know, uh, to peel back the curtain, we literally play in a meta where this card is a known quantity. Time sifter gets mm-hmm. played in our meta specifically, but time sifter, I think, and, and I think Josh this is actually a good card to bring up, right? Because I do okay. think this is a card that for a more enfranchised player, um, either to magic specifically, or maybe to trading card or collectible card games in a general sense would mm-hmm. go like, that's very interesting. That's kind of a very interesting effect. But I think to a new player, mm-hmm. I don't actually think that the payoff here is, is kind of, I don't think it's there for a newer player. And like Daniel mentioned a bit there, it's as a, um, as a more enfranchised player, I'm actually just more inclined to run things that are not as immediately powerful, but yeah. generally valuable, like top deck manipulation. I either might have mm-hmm. in my deck just a way to cons, uh, we played pr- fairly recently. I played my Eureka, the Tiger Shadow deck, which in which that game, I scried at least one card every single mm-hmm. turn. <laughs> Yeah. Full yeah. stop. That whole game. So that deck, one that deck already wants to do that. Top deck manipulation is a is flat valuable. And I know that yeah. as an enfranchised player. But it's you see a card that just lets you scry as a new player. Like and and you know, there's the potential for somebody to be introduced to the game and immediately be a turbo spike and just kind of see the <laughs> matrix, right? But right. I think for the average newer player to magic who's who's excited by the big plays and the giant creatures and stuff. I I think that they're not going to, they don't immediately see the value in that top deck manipulation. And Mm -hmm. now the double-edged sword here is that a card like time sifter will show them what the value is, but it's that trade off, right? Yeah. It's that trade off. Well, I have to watch somebody else do a cool thing and I don't get to, and and I I learned from that. The uh-huh. value, but I don't get to learn it by experiencing it, yeah. and that is where I think the 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 better bang for your buck is when mm-hmm. including cards to up the fun for newer players is gonna be. Yeah, I definitely for that for that explicit lesson of um, demonstrating what top decking can do sure. or a top deck manipulation. Um, something much more like Omen Machine would be a much Omen better. Omen Machine pick. is a much yeah. better example. Because let me I, Daniel, I would be remiss if I didn't let if I didn't yeah. insist that you explain what Omen Machine does. Omen <laughs> uh, Machine is a six drop artifact. Uh, it says players cannot draw cards. Uh, at the beginning of each player's draw step, they exile the top card of their library. Uh, if it's a land card, they put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, they cast that card without paying its mana cost if able. Um, mm-hmm. And that's Omen Machine. So. And another reason why I think Omen Machine is good, because I think... He didn't even look that up. <laughs> no, and I, I shouldn't have to. If I got anything wrong, <laughs> it was barely. Um, it was dead on. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, here's a reason why I like Omen Machine, but also a reason why I think it might be kind of a trap. Um, sure. Or not, okay. not a trap, but it's sort of got that Oath of Druids kind of feel, but Oath of Druids is a little bit more um, specific. Oath of Druid gets only creatures, right? Um, mm-hmm. and so it's just like, Hey, you know, I'm playing a big stompy creature deck. I'm gonna get out my big stompy creatures. Oh, machine does everything. And for newer yeah. players who don't necessarily know the value of, you know, a constant source of card draw, um, 
I think that Oma Machine is fine. I think that if they're coming yeah. in and they don't know that, like, you know, a lot of decks should have a lot more ways to draw cards to kind of dig through, I think Omen Machine is mm, a hoot mm-hmm, and a holler. Mm-hmm. I think it's just like, wow, my stuff is free, any of my spells, or free land drops so I can play the things in my hand. Cool. But I think if you have a player that's coming in that's maybe watched some stuff, like they've watched, like, some Command Zone or some Commander Clash mm-hmm. and things, where they're more enfranchised and they learn through that before coming in, they're just like, oh, what? Yep. You can stop card draw? And so I think mm. it's, it kind of, I guess what I want to say is that the the class is fun, but it teaches you a bad lesson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because, yeah. Okay. Because it's, you, you, it's you not helping you learn you. anything about the, yeah. about magic, <laughs> but by gum, you're playing it, man. You're playing it. Yeah. Hmm. And so if, it's, it, yeah, no, go ahead. It, it teaches you about stacks. It teaches you that stacks things exist, which is <laughs> right. valuable. It's a valuable lesson. Maybe not the most fun. Well, it's kind of like if you learned how to how to do your taxes when you're in school. It's good yeah. that you learned this. Well, it will be beneficial. And even uh-huh. then, I think fun? I think every lesson that Omen Machine teaches is wrong. Because if you wanted to teach someone a lesson <laughs> about stacks, they'd be like, oh man, we don't get to play magic anymore. You're like, no, no. I mean, that is stacks, but this one is specifically making you play magic. And I have yeah, no control right. over what you're going to do. So you're playing right. magic. You just can't draw cards, mm. but you have to play magic. So in that regard, it's not even really a good example of stacks because they have to keep <laughs> casting cards. So as, as yeah, I said, it's a class right. where like the teacher is just like, everyone gets an A. And it's like, but teacher, we didn't study. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. I wrote all your papers. <laughs> and then he just throws them around. The <laughs> and that's it's, kind of what it is. And I think kind of the key distinction here, right? So you look at a card like Oath of Druids. So Oath of Druids specifically is you may choose a player. And if they like there, there is like um, Oath of Druids presents a newer player or really it presents every single player at the table, but it presents Mm -hmm. a newer player with a method to opt in to like another kind of silly warp on the general way that magic works. They can opt Hmm. into this, you know, this card's effect to get a creature out for free. That's almost always universal. Now, Mm -hmm. maybe this newer player, you know, deserves more credit than we're giving them. And they go like, ah, but I'm running like frilled mystic or mystic snake creatures that have ETBs that are very like crucially need to be crucially timed. And so maybe, Uh you know, they, they deserve a bit more credit and they go like, that's actually not an effect I want to opt into. And if they don't want to play with it, magic is normal for them. They get to draw the card, uh-huh. play their spells, anything like that. Own yeah. machine is is an all or nothing type effect where yes. it's baseline. Uh-huh. You don't draw cards, period. Which means if the you know if this newer player maybe like maybe you don't know everything as the more enfranchised player and they have you know really done their homework right and they've mm-hmm. you know included card draw on their deck. They're really excited to draw into their key pieces, play them in the right order. Omen Machine stops them from doing that and doesn't really give them a way out. They can destroy it, right, with artifact removal or anything like that. But right. it does it 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 is not an opt-in effect. It is a hard lock. You have to deal with this. This is what it's doing. And cards like we've been mentioning there are cards they can opt into. And I think kind of that forcing them to into the decision making part of it, I think is actually the key part there. Sure, like sure, the yeah. result of Oath of Druids may be random. But it's controlled random. It's, you know what creatures Mm -hmm. are in your deck. You can, on a gut check, go, is this going to be 
better for me more often than it is not. And then if so, I can opt into it. Cards like Own Machine, cards like Time Sifter, they force that kind of decision. Uh, mm-hmm. and they they kind of remove that level of control. And that, I think, for at least for like my point of view, I would say is what makes them not as optimal choices as some of the other ones like Factor Fiction, like Oath of Druids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that the Time Sifter and Omen Machine are a little too much. Now, I do, I do think that there is a place for newer players because you know i was a newer player and i didn't know about any of those type of cards but once i did i was like mm-hmm. oh that's my that's my jam <laughs> that's my jam i want right. to i want to live in there and some mm-hmm. players you know uh-huh. they're gonna like that kind of thing um uh but they have to i don't think you should start them there let them let them find out it's like you know everybody starts off with like some kind of weird life gain deck and then they realize oh i can play mill and so they all play mill Everyone has a real deck. <laughs> right. Um, right. Yeah. Another, and this is another choice of a card. It's one of my favorite removal spells. Um, okay. Just in all of Magic, especially Commander, because it was printed uh, especially in Commander. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, obviously you want your removal. Um, and this one isn't necessarily a choice piece. But mm. this does okay. force them to play with something they might not normally do. I like this. Obviously you can do this a a booty hole way and you can target one of their permanents, but typically you wouldn't do that. Um, This card is fractured identity. It is three, a white and a blue. You exile target non-land permanent. And then each player other than its controller creates a token that is a copy of it. So if you're Mm -hmm. playing it with Mm. this new player and they see something on the field and they're like, man, that's really that's cool. So cool. And the card is like, good. You're just like, tell yeah. you what, dude, I don't want them to have it. Cause it synergizes with their deck really well. Let's all, but him have one. And then they're like, Oh dang, <laughs> you mean that I have like a Ugin? And then like, yeah, man, have an Ugin. And then like, mm-hmm. and you know, that's kind of cool. Cause the Ugins can't just minus X to get rid of each other. They're colorless. Everyone's got an Ugin <laughs> except one person. Yeah. And then, you right. know, obviously, you, they could be like, hey, I finally played my Solemn Simulacrum because I heard that was good. And he was like, yeah, everybody else gets one. Like, yeah, obviously you can do that. <laughs> but this is a yeah. way that does it in a way that's not a game control effect. It's an answer. Like, obviously you want to answer like the bad things. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not trying to make your deck terrible. I want your deck to still right. be able to do things a deck does. So this is an yeah. answer that gives a benefit to you and it will give a benefit to the newer player. And more often than not, you'll probably know how to kind of maneuver with that creature a little better, but they get to have it. They get to also have it. And the other person's thing wasn't stolen or anything. It's just gone. It's just finito Mussolini. And so I love Fractured Identity. I think it is a a great card. I want to see it a lot more often. And it's flexible, right? Yeah. Another example that I was trying to figure out how to segue in, and this is a good spot to do it. uh, I was going to mention Hive Mind because it kind of is similar Kind of. Mm-hmm. Not identical. But Hive Mind is um, for five other and a blue, you get an enchantment that says whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, each other player copies that spell. Each of those players may choose new targets for his or her copy. Now, this isn't an answer, and it's going to be kind of... Um, it's not as straightforward as uh, Fractured Identity and being an answer and then give you a benefit. Hive Mind is kind of... You're, you're in- introducing some chaos... Um, yeah, but it for sure is another example of a thing where you've probably built your deck to hopefully, um, uh, capitalize on running hive mind, but 
also in the course of it, you are giving the new player a copy of each instant and sorcery spell that gets cast. They get to see these things. They get to make decisions. They get to impact the board, which with each instant or sorcery that anyone else casts too. It's interesting though. Cause so like you mentioned there that it's like you, a, a, an unfranchised player would include a card like hive mind very intentionally mm-hmm. where um, I, I, uh, uh, I had a kitchen table deck in case I haven't mentioned on the show before that was very much the patch cycle plus hive mind oh, with right, new right. elemental where it's the entire, the entire point of the deck was to turbo out hive mind play pact of uh pact of the Titan or pact mm-hmm. of what any of the packs that would then get copied that were outside of my opponent's colors, or I played three to four of them in a turn. There was no way they had the mana to force them to lose and i think that's kind of this is almost a uh i think this is put this has potential but it almost is a, a trap but for the more enfranchised player where i think mm. if your deck is running hive mind as its general strategy like it just wants this effect here because it's it's mm-hmm. built in such a way to take a disproportionate advantage here i feel like those decks are actually less in, they're they're less likely to elicit the positive response from the newer player than if you were to randomly jam a hive mind into yeah. a, any given deck with blue well, in it. because well, again, I mean, like if someone's running you know packs right uh-huh. or they're running um in in my in my version that i was running packs and paradigm shift and doomsday such mm-hmm. that you would be, you know, best case scenario, you just have five cards now, and I re- you run Niv Magus Elemental, and I exile my spells so mine don't resolve, and things like that. Yeah. I think that Hive Mind does have that high ceiling, but I feel like you have to you have to know yourself as a player and as a deck builder if you're going to include it for these reasons. I think you have to be kind of, there's some, like, you know, honesty you have to have with yourself where you go, like, okay, is am I by including hive mind creating a chance for somebody new to have more fun or am I going to just turbo lock the board in two spells once I have this result? Well, I mean, in the deck that you're describing, I I think that would just be not, if you're running that deck out the gate with Mm. a new player with like a, you win in a turn. You know what you're doing. You're doing that. You're being very cruel um so <laughs> yes it definitely depends on what deck you're running with hive mind i yeah. would hopefully there are decks that are not so oppressive with hive mind i'm certain that there are where you know mm-hmm. you have ways to benefit that aren't winning a turn and mm-hmm. even if you because i mean and a lot of that we're talking about here i mean we're not talking about building decks that are just pure group hug or, or whatever just purely yeah, exactly. for the benefit of a new player we're talking about decks that would have a win con i would assume this deck that we're talking about in theory that would have hive mind would have a win con mm-hmm. also but i ideally just in the meantime you get out hive mind you have set up a combo piece there's a turn or two maybe and and while that is happening ideally the new player gets some action off the hive mind that's what I would hope mm. for. I was looking at my Daniel's five color favorites deck. And uh-huh. it's interesting to note that I actually have hive mind and fractured identity in this deck. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, see, yeah, it doesn't have to be spooky, but, but yeah. you know, more often than not, I, I think a player would build a deck that way. It, mm-hmm. the thing about hive mind for me is just, yeah, you have to learn a lot about the stack real quick 
It's a lot well, of information. That is true. Because let's say, yeah. you know, someone casts, it could be something simple like a, I don't know, like a murder. Yeah. And then uh-huh. it goes, all of the spells are put onto the stack with the same target as the original murder. And then uh-huh. they are all changed in turn order and then resolve an app now. Mm-hmm. And then so yeah. it's it can get muddy with certain spells and it can create kind of a, sure, a little yeah. bit of a mental slog in that regard. Although, you know, hive mind into volcanic offering sounds amazing. <laughs> you know, I'd yeah. love to see it. Yeah. But yeah. I think even with the most innocent ideas, if people are playing like some kind of targeted spells, mm-hmm. then things things can get a little wonky. Like even Drew's with the tainted cycles. Or not tainted mm-hmm. the the packs the huh. packs like, yeah. one oh, yeah, of the packs yeah. like targeted a thing it's like destroy target creature and then you got to pay black but like if uh-huh. every other player kept the target the same without changing them because they don't have to change the target then only the first uh-huh. person's copy who resolves has to play the black because everybody else's fizzles off the stack because the target is mm-hmm. now illegal and so yeah. the mm-hmm. white pack or the red pack or the one it's it's a whole thing so hive mind yeah. I think. Play maybe, you know, four or five games with the new player first, then maybe pepper mm-hmm. a hive mind in there. Maybe start peppering in some <laughs> of the, the weirder things. But I think mm-hmm. a little too early might be a little too much, personally. I think there, there's a cycle of cards that actually, and, and there's actually an article I kind of want to refer to that is not, it's not really the exact thing we're talking about, but I think it's tangentially related. So uh, Connor McLeod, um, he's known on the internet um, as Spice Arak. He's a magic content creator. Um, he also writes articles for Channel Fireball. And specifically, there's an article of his that I that I really like that's um, called Choosing Equity Over Equality. And it's about group mm-hmm. hug and commander. Because I think yeah. that's kind of... It, it's in the same sphere of what we're talking about here. Because so far, like some of these cards are cards and spells that you may be likely to see in a group hug list. But the, the kind of... the the crux of uh, Connor's article and kind of what a lot of what we're talking about here is mm-hmm. ways to focus in that type of hug in such a way that doesn't just, that doesn't really just benefit the strongest deck at the table. Right. I have definitely, hmm. you know, uh, hmm. playing in a, in a group that has always had a group hug deck either at the table or just kind of in <laughs> the pod yeah. has, has benefited me substantially more than I think most of our group because I, t- mm-hmm. I just tend to build decks that like to play things for free, but mm-hmm. that's kind of the thing. Uh, so well, like I don't know because proportion uh, talking proportionally, uh, whereas yes, you tend to have stronger decks with stronger options in them. I'm the one who sure. tends to build worse decks Less than yeah. <laughs> is made to work at all by group hug. So proportionally, <laughs> yeah. I think I might benefit a little more as a, as a method of percentage. Right. Yeah. And so, but that, that's kind of the thing. His, um, his article gets into whereas like, you know, let's say I built, I built really tuned optimized five color Najila and somebody mm. else built Kangi and <laughs> you run a howling mine, howling mm. mine. You can look at that mine. You look at that card and you are objectively correct. And that it benefits the table equally mm. in this individual game. I am going to benefit more because I'm already drawing cards and you're just kind of helping me get there. Whereas the right, best right, right. thing Kangi's going to draw, I don't know, is a counter spell. I don't know what Kangi decks run. Birds. Birds. <laughs> birds. Uh, yeah, birds, I would yeah. imagine. 
Um, <laughs> he points out in this deck, though, he he points out a cycle that I know that uh, Daniel and I have actually talked about specifically um, at length, but it's the advocate cycle, which wizards, if you're listening, and I, I don't know that you are, but I wish you would. It'd be nice. Um, <laughs> the, the cycle called the advocates, they were introduced, I believe, in Judgment. Um, and oh, they I love that, a, advocates. The, yeah. So, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so a spurn mage advocate, advocate, which I think may be the most played because it was printed in a commander precon, but it's one white for a one one human nomad. Tap, return two target cards from an opponent's graveyard to their hand, destroy target attacking creature. So, we want to look at what this does, right? So, objectively, giving an opponent two cards for your one is a trade that has to be very particular for you to Mm -hmm. even lie and say that you're getting additional benefit versus that other player. Right. Mm -hmm. But in a multiplayer format, like commander, this is a thing where this is, I think more of a group hug card. It does something that you want, right? It actively impacts the board. The, the creature, it could be attacking you. This could, this, this could disincentivize an attack against you because you have on board removal. This could let you play politically while also benefiting this other player all of the advocates have effects that are similar to this where you return like two or three cards from an opponent's graveyard to their hand you let them get their really cool creature back and you progress your board or you do something that's positive for you at the same time so that Mm -hmm. again you don't feel silly about including this repeatable creature removal in a white deck Mm -hmm. uh because this is an effect that you do generally want but you can go like hey this is the newer player i know that like they may feel bad their really cool creature got doom bladed or whatever i can Mm -hmm. help them advance my board literally play a make a political play by helping out another player even if you know no one is new and I feel like that kind of checks all the boxes there. All of the advocates do this to some degree. And again, it's, I think kind of the key, the magic spot there is an effect that you would want in a deck in general. Oh, yeah. It has the flexibility mm-hmm. to also really play up a new player experience if one happens to be at the table. And that's um, that's where I would like to talk about. This is one of my favorite um, cards because it is essentially, oh, what is its name? Um, I think it's this. Yes, this is one of my favorite cards. Mm-hmm. So for any of you who are fans of Eternal Witness, Eternal Witness okay. is a very good card. It's a staple in most decks. Uh, most decks with green, I should say, because of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Eternal Witness, always usually going for like three or something dollars. I think that the, yeah, even the Commander Legends printing is still going for like 250 mm-hmm. Um, And so there is a card that is called Skullwinder. It is two and a green. It is essentially the same mana cost as Eternal Witness, but one less intense on the green. Mm -hmm. You get Uh a one, three death touch snake. When it enters the battlefield, you return target card from your graveyard to your hand. Then you choose an opponent. That player returns a card from their graveyard to their hand. It's just an E witness for you (laughs) and one other player. Now, typically what you can do with this is just like, I don't want to have to spend $2 on E wit. And whenever I play this, I'm just going to pick somebody who either has nothing in their graveyard or who has only like lands in their graveyard. But this card mm-hmm. also works just in the other way of just like, hey, you know, that guy's thing got Doombladed or whatever. I'm just going to mm-hmm. say, hey, I'm going to play this. I'm going to get back this card. This is a good card I'm getting back. I'm, I'm going to mm-hmm. get back something like, I don't know, uh, Howling Mine, something really cool. And then <laughs> Ooh, like, yeah. and then, then they can be <laughs> like, oh, shit. neat. I can get my, um, I can get my uh, Gashaft. 
back from my graveyard because I accidentally let it go to my graveyard and not the command zone. You know how they are. (laughs) (laughs) And also, it's a 1-3 death touch. Like, I don't think Ewit has death touch. It's got a pretty decent stat line. Ewit's a 2-1. Ewit is on on Uh, the stats level worse. Relatively garbage. Yeah. (laughs) Relative, yeah, I guess. And so there are ways, obviously, to make Skullwinder good. But this is, and this is kind of where I was trying to, like, eventually get to real quick as, like, a Mm -hmm. final touch Mm -hmm. on is sort of replacements. Uh, Cards that maybe would replace your things. Like, uh, like Drew actually has a great deck for this because he has, hmm. um, what, what is its name? A Timsis? Yeah. A Timsis all seeing. You have a Timsis all seeing and you I have call the deck. A Timsis is big meaty paws is what yes. it's called. <laughs> and there's a bunch of tutors in the deck. Now I think for new players, hmm. I like to think of it like a movie, right? In a movie. And you think of an action sequence, like say Indiana Jones is running away from a boulder. And mm-hmm. I like to think of drawing cards as the act of running away from the boulder. Like say, oh, here's uh-huh. a problem. I want to find the answer. And then so you're drawing cards, you're digging, you're trying to get it. Oh, you want to find it. And then, you know, eventually you find it. That represents the whole cinematic of running through, avoiding the traps, finally getting out of the way. Where a tutor just says, oh, I'm going to flip a switch and block the boulder without moving. Yeah. Tutors, huh. okay. anticlimactic. I think I tutors just kind of make me feel icky, but this deck is chock full of tutors that are also choices, which I love that Drew just has in this uh-huh. Timsis deck. Drew, what are some of the the kind of tutors that you got rolling in this deck that give us like oh. you you give the players the options? Yeah, because so, I think I you mean, have two um, or three of them, maybe four. I, I have a couple. So so for people who may not be completely familiar, Atemsis All-Seeing is a very weird mono blue commander. Four or five Flying Sphinx, uh, two and a blue tap to draw two and discard one. But the relevant, the reason you would run this is its, is its other effect was uh, whenever Atemsis All-Seeing deals damage to an opponent, you may reveal your hand. If cards with at least six different converted mana costs are revealed this way, that player loses the game. And so... Six different cards in a de- in a game where your max hand size is seven is pretty tricky. And so the fun thing there is in a... I wonder if I can still find... Because uh, I, I have a, another deck list of it that is like chock full of them. But so essentially whenever I was first building it, um, one of my you know early drafts, I was looking for a lot of what, what I called shell game cards. And so they were cards that let your opponents... Like we mentioned with Factor Fiction... Um, where your opponent can choose which cards you get into your hand and in attempts is those have additional stakes right so in a general game you're like okay what effect or like what what are they trying to get to so they can just win whereas attempts is you have to not only consider what is that card's effect but what is that card's mana cost where like hmm. i might give them a card that is just objectively bad but it could be the right cmc that they need to kill somebody on the spot right and mm-hmm. so it's kind of that added layer that added layer of decision making there oh i think i might have found it let me see here let me see mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh uh will i cut uh-huh. part of this dead air out who's to say <laughs> i think it's fine because you're explaining the just like the, yeah, the reasons also, why you have them in deck and why they're still good right. for the deck even though it does hand the reins over to to somebody mm-hmm. else yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm 
Um, oh god, because there was there was one that was really good that I'm just like completely spacing on, and that's bugging me so bad. Um, let me see that's here if I can just find it, it. It truly, truly is actually. Um, ba -ba 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 well, we had a good run before this. <laughs> you're, Let me you're see. Doing a good job. Uh, 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 uh. I mean, well, I'll yeah. talk about a different card, and this is a card that I yeah. really like, and I wish I could see more because there are uh -huh. there are things that kind of skirt this line that might be a little too mm -hmm. much. Like Wish Claw Talisman lets you tutor, mm -hmm. and then passes the tutor to an opponent, and so yeah, you'll Ooh. get to use it first. But they just get a straight up tutor, and I don't know if you want that kind of power, uh. but. There yeah, are other yeah. cards that are similar, and I think uh -huh. one of my favorite ones, and this is actually a teamer-colored card, but I love this card. Uh, this card mm -hmm. is called Guided Passage. Like, if you're going to run a tutor, this is a pretty good replacement for instead of just being like, I'm going to vamp tutor, get whatever I want. Uh, it is mm -hmm. a blue, a red, and a green. You reveal all the cards in your library, and an opponent chooses from among them a creature, a land, and a non-creature, non-land. And you put the chosen mm. cards into your hand. So oh, if you're beautiful. just like, um, yeah. oh yeah, it's so good. Because if you pick, <laughs> you can cute. include the new player, or if there's like an issue on the field, just in general, you can be like, hey, we need to deal with this thing on the board. My hands mm -hmm. are tied. What are you going to give me? And it's just like, we'll give you one wrath, uh, a swamp, and then we're going to give you a, a, you know, some terrible thing. So you're essentially, you're only getting a wrath, but it's two more cards for three mana. Yeah, not yeah, too yeah, terrible. Yeah. Well, like if, you know, it's weird it that they a had a swamp player, in the deck. Through. This is at least a four color deck, I guess. It's a five color deck. That's five color deck. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it, this is yeah. probably a vile <laughs> smasher. You're, you're trying to tune down your vile smasher Thrasios deck. And so you're including right. these kind of weird yeah. cards. Um, yeah. Well, I do. So, I do have an example. Also, I mean, it's not. It's not along the lines of um, Tudor specifically, but um, one of my favorite cycles is the uh, Vow cycle of Auras. Um, oh yes, yeah. Just, just like as an example, um, here's here's the white one is uh, Vow of Duty for two other and a white uh, enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus two plus two, has vigilance, and can't attack you or a planeswalker you control. Um, this I think is a it's a great alternative to um, uh, prison effects. It's it's a great alternative to like um, either like O ring things that exile opponents things um, or even it's even an alternative to um, like some of the blue auras that like tap down a creature and it doesn't untap these it it totally eliminates a threat to you, but then that player can still use a now buffed creature to attack your opponents. So it's, mm. I, I love the alternative there. I, I really like that cycle. You're because I, I mean, it's doing the, the double edged thing. It's you, you have eliminated a threat to you and increased threats to your opponents. opponents. And I think mm. it's beautiful. It's, oh, and that's, uh, so uh, I have... there's also just real quick. There's also the impetus cycle. Uh, if people oh, right, are right, unaware right. of the impetus cycle, but the impetus cycle, very similar to the vows, except for mm. it goads the creature, which essentially mm -hmm. just means the creature has to attack every turn of able and it can't attack right. you. It has to attack one of your opponents, but it does additional things. It gives them a buff and then it also gives them other effects whenever they're swinging. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a very similar thing. It lets the new player keep playing the game, but at the same time, it, 
keeps them away from hurting you specifically. And so like, that's a, yeah. that's, I think that those are splendid cards. Yeah, 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 so yeah. there's, um, I, I have, I have fortunately found my, my original draft of the attempts list that has these cards in it. So mm. these are all blue. Um, these, these cards in particular, but it's, they, they are extremely fun and attempts is a deck that if you, if you have been looking like I built the deck, um, for some background, I built attempts as a challenge from someone in our play group to just build a monocolored deck attempts is hmm. the, the legendary that at the time, you know, I found the most interesting. Um, and I mean, to this day, this is one of my favorite decks that I have. Um, but attempts hmm. is a deck where I need to assemble very particular CMCs in addition to needing to assemble very particular spells just to play the game well. Um, but there are a couple here that I have in a list of like what I call the shell games where it's my opponents do not know what I have in hand. They don't know what CMCs that I need. So in addition to like, you may say like having to choose your CMCs and just the spells in general sounds like just added complexity. And it is, but these mm-hmm. cards kind of flip that and force it onto my opponents. Factor fiction. We've already talked about also does this. Um, but so it's this deck also runs distant memories distant memories is two and two blue for a sorcery you search your library for a card exile it face down notably and then shuffle any opponent may have you put that card into your hand and if none of them do you draw three cards Mm -hmm. so this is a this is this card is literally a tutor depending on what your opponents think you're going to try to get right Right. because it's everybody knows usually if you're tutoring for a card you're tutoring for the thing that's going to help you win almost on the spot and a lot of a lot of enfranchised players may go for that and like okay okay do i want them to have the exact card because distant memories has no restriction on it you can tutor for any type Mm -hmm. of card i can tutor for a basic land if that's what i have to need but they have to kind of weigh the potential for what I could have gotten versus the random also potential benefit of any just three cards off the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. In, in attempts is in like in this deck in particular, this is such an exciting choice for me because it's in a general sense, I could, let's say, you know, I, let's say I cast distant memories when I had six cards in hand, I go down to five. I then get a sixth card for the entire table they go is that the exact mana cost that they need <laughs> to win the game to kill an opponent with a Tempsis? Mm-hmm. or is that a bluff and i might then screw up and give them in the three cards that i'm going to give them the ability to then win off of that <laughs> and it's the thing where it's again it goes to each and every player right so it's depending on the turn order this can be a thing where uh, two enfranchised players may just, you know, they, they get the feeling in their gut that I definitely tutored for the exact card that I needed. And it's kind of, it's the kind of thing then where they're going to, going to explain to the people after them in the turn order to not give me that card because of what they think <laughs> I'm going to do. And so it encourages, like, I'm obviously not going to participate in that because I'm trying, I play this card to mind game my opponents. <laughs> but they, they're going to play amongst each other there. And again, no matter what choice you make there, it's the thing where it's you are, you're having to wrestle with it. There's not an obvious answer either way. And it just, it again, it, it kind of invites a newer player to just kind of make that type of decision. A, uh, nah, a similar card in the deck in the original they, version. They're always going to have tutored is, out a, an island. It's easy. They're I mean, always just going to thin I, out an island. One, I have done cards. both. Zero yeah. is a mana easy. cost that still counts Zero. towards attempts. It still counts. <laughs> I didn't say they weren't uh, always... helping themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's always an island. Uh, Don't worry about this card, y'all. Is a library of Latinam, four and a blue. 
target opponent chooses one. You draw three cards at the beginning of the next turn's upkeep, or I search my library for a card, put it in my hand, then shuffle. So this mm. is the same effect, but in reverse, mm. where it's instead of it being open to each player in order, I choose potentially the newer player, again, like the factor fiction way to be like, hey, this is part of the game. Here's a chance for you to learn it or anyone else so that they can see that happen by example. But this is that effect in reverse. I go like, all right, hey, I've already played this card. You don't get to, like, I get to react to whatever happens the rest of this turn <laughs> and all to the upkeep. It's like, do you want to give me three cards at random, which may, any of those three could be exactly what The I one mean. that you would have tutored for. Or in the one I would have tutored for, or do you want to give me the exact card that I want right now? <laughs> and again, like, it's, you know, these are four and five CMC. These are not going to break or warp the format at all, but mm -hmm. they're just so much fun, especially, again, in a deck like a Tempsis, and I think and I think these could be if you wanted to like combo decks get a bad rap and a lot of it, most of it, 99% is completely earned, but some <laughs> of it is just kind of by by uh, by reputation. Right. And I think instead of powering down a combo deck by removing combo pieces, I think if you replaced some tutors with effects like this, that gave your opponents some autonomy. Right. I'm not having to, I don't have to give up ahead of these, what I grabbed. My, my tutor effect is still completely anonymous. It is still completely blind to my opponents. Mm. I don't have to give up that surprise factor, but I'm, ha I'm giving, I'm kind of empowering to empowering them to go like the better that, you know, my deck, the better equipped you're going to be to stop me from comboing out. And so it gives them outs to it. So that if I still get to, you know, this one or two card combo, if I had to get to it through a couple lucky based on your decision things, I think it's mm -hmm. a thing where my combo can be just as strong as it always is. It can still be two cards and that's fine. But my ability to get to it, there's some more randomness. There's some more opponent participation in that. And so I think that the saltiness in general is a bit lesser because of that. And that's really mm -hmm. the main thing is, is and it's a kind of a last thing that I was maybe planning on touching on. I did, I was going to also just say some commanders that kind of do this whole thing is like their whole shtick. Um, mm -hmm. But I do yeah. think that that's the main thing about a good way to power down your deck without making it, you know, terrible is, is to give these options. It's like volcanic offering is going to kill two creatures and it's going to slow down two you know, two players or one player a lot, like, but yeah, it doesn't uh -huh. hinder you and it just brings somebody else in. So I think that just in general, like that's, not bad advice if you want to power down your deck there are still tutors there are still these options and there's still ways mm -hmm. to dig but you don't have to run just you know vamp tutor and you know the, the kind Veronica of tutor and all this yeah, stuff. yeah all the yeah. ones that just kind of get you there uh i did just want to real quick talk about because i said volcanic offering was like the impetus for the episode but that is mm -hmm. um it's not true the actual um okay impetus of the episode does come from a friend of our deck um they have a sphinx deck and it is um what's the name of the um, guy unesh crypto, oh, unesh. Sphinx crypto sphinx sovereign unesh is just it is mm -hmm. a six drop four and two blue four four flying sphinx your sphinx spells costs two less to cast and <laughs> whenever it it enters the <laughs> battlefield or another sphinx enters the battlefield under your control mm -hmm. you just factor fiction one less card it's a four card factor fiction and mm -hmm. so your opponent separates them into two piles. One goes into your hand and the other into your graveyard. Every single time a Sphinx enters the battlefield, 
So this mm-hmm. this deck and the the card itself, if you can build it right, and Lance's is pretty good. It's just insane yeah, value yeah. engine. Except for mm-hmm. it yep. doesn't give you that same kind of disgusted feeling of somebody just being like, "All right, uh, I'm going to draw 18 cards. I'm going to get like mm-hmm. 16 things." Because every single time a new giant flying beater enters the battlefield, yeah, <laughs> there's there's still this little mini game of just like you know how Lance would say it. He would just say, "All right, who hasn't done it yet?" And he'd yeah. be like, yep. ah, "Josh, Josh, <laughs> off the top. you do it. Josh, give me a pile." Uh, and he's like, uh, "Okay, here's, here's okay, four Lance. in a pile, four and zero. Yeah. These are all right." And he says, "Oh, thank you. All to the graveyard." <laughs> And so that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's one. I love Unesh. The deck is yeah. super cool to watch. It's fun. And mm-hmm. it doesn't feel that unfair because even if they get a counter spell, chances are you had to give it to them. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's, right. you know, you split it. You're just like, hey, here's like three really good cards and one counter spell. And they're sending three <laughs> to the graveyard to grab like just yeah. a good old fashioned um counterspell and you're like okay well at least i know i know that it's there mm-hmm. and so that's something there is another one uh what is his name oh it's gonna bother me um Lovely. oh it's atris the oracle of hath truths is another amazing commander yeah. does oh, the right, same right, thing right. two uh blue and a black it is a three two human advisor with menace when it enters the battlefield, target opponent looks at the top three cards of your library and separates them into a face-down pile and a face-up pile. You put one pile into your hand mm-hmm. and the other into your graveyard. It does the Great same thing stuff. as Unesh. It's just mm-hmm. a little bit more silly. Stuff is face-down. This is a cartoon deck. I don't know yeah. how you can <laughs> lose to this deck like, and be upset. <laughs> like yep. unless like that part didn't matter and there's like you know leveler thassa's oracle whatever but it's just like sure. with everything coming because that means that they had to get lucky if they got any good cards from the face down pile that they didn't know what was in there or they had <laughs> right. to specifically ignore the face down pile for the face up pile it's cute mm-hmm. you can build it as a blink deck just keep having an etb over and over yep. and over, you're just handing out face down, face up piles. Really cute if you wanted to go real hard on the things. Um, and what was I about to talk about? It's oh, an advisor. It is an advisor. One last thing <laughs> yeah. um, to just um, help with the the mood at the table. Um, yep. And just because, you know, losing does feel bad. Losing sure. is a yeah. feel bad thing. Mm-hmm. There are cards... Me personally, I never mind dying. And I, I don't know if all new players will feel the same mm. way to me. Because, like, sure. you know, I don't mind dying to something like Zozu the Punisher. Because it hits everybody, even the other guy. It is it is yeah. not very specific in its hatred. It's just, hey, this is damage. Nobody is targeting you, so the feel-bads go away for that. And I think that, yeah, but, you know, that's not for everyone. I know that. But there are cards mm. that dole out damage at random. And I think that cards that dole out hmm. damage at random, like if you're still just looking for some answers and you want to like, you know, still get some some hurt going, but you know, the new you don't want to do the thing of just like, oh, I'm going to focus with my combat damage, the new player. So I've made the choice to play these creatures and kill them specifically on purpose because hmm. that can be a little bit of a feel bad. So play some things that might just have to. Some uh, one of my favorite cards. It's actually in my five color favorites deck. I was just looking at it. A uh, territorial hellkite, two and two red. It's a four drop flying haste six five dragon. 
at the beginning of combat on your turn. Choose an opponent at random that it hasn't attacked during the last combat, and it's got to attack that guy. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Any of those kinds of effects, I think, can help minimize while still advancing your board state because you are killing people and dealing right. damage. Yeah. But you're not being quite as particular. I think that mm-hmm. most new players can kind of understand the idea that they got to get hit. But sometimes losing first, you can be like, well, why did I have to get focused? You know what? Yeah, yeah, now yeah. I have to sit here. And that can be really We're- discouraging. So if you're doling mm-hmm. out the damage kind of in a mishmash, like, you know, mm-hmm. you can be ramping and going off. And if the damage is random, if I die first to random damage, it's just like, oh, okay, <laughs> the players don't hate me. God hates me. <laughs> that, <laughs> and you know what? That feels a little bit better during a magic game. <laughs> during right. a game of magic, I'd rather God hate me. Because I, mm-hmm. I have to look at the player that hates me in the face. I don't have to look at God. Yeah. No, we I can mean, just yeah, keep turning right. a blind eye to God as we do every day. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> uh, any other um, kind of standout cards that you guys can that you guys think could think of off the top of your head? Well, I just I'm along just that specific lines. I mean, I don't remember more. if you I don't remember if you mentioned in the course of talking about territorial Hellkite, You have said before explicitly in these words that Vile Smasher the Fierce is one of the most pure cards in Magic. I love because Vile Smasher Vile, the Fierce, yeah. and I do mean that. I do yeah. mean it. Because Vile Smasher the Fierce's ability is whenever you cast your first spell each turn, Vile Smasher deals damage equal to that spell's converted mana cost to an opponent chosen at random. And I do agree that is the uh, some sort of Lord's work. I And here's <laughs> the thing about Vile Smasher that I like. You, you give Vile Smasher to a new player that doesn't know anything about CEDH, how kind of bonkers the reputation that Vile Smasher has gained over the years. And they're just Mm going to be playing this card and they're going to have a blast because Mm -hmm. it's a two, three goblin berserker that hits people (laughs) for random assortments of damage. They're not going to, they're not going to know just, Hey, this is like, like, even if you tell them, you say, this is actually part of one of the most powerful decks in like all of commander. And they probably would be like, how, it only deals damage <laughs> once a turn, right? Man, it's it, random. It's just cute. It's at random. It's a cute card. I think that, once again, I blame CEDH for anything that I like. Getting pooped down and pooped at and getting a bad rep. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> but it is only, it's a, you can get it for $14 now, so that's pretty good if you want a Vile Smasher. Hell yeah. Uh, one card I was going to yeah. touch on is that um, Wraths are still good. There's some pretty decent, not feel bad wraths. Um, there is one that's just called, uh, 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 I think it's Last One Standing. That one's a little, it's got mm-hmm. some random to it. And so it might not be, you know, if the new player you think might not like random as much. But it is a, um, yeah, Last One Standing. You choose a creature at random, then destroy the rest. That's it. <laughs> it's it, yeah. it feels yeah, a lot yeah, less yeah. bad um and then there's also fortunate few um oh the converted mana cost on the last one was one and a black and a red uh, for a sorcery and mm-hmm. then fortunate few is three and two white for a sorcery you choose a non-land permanent you don't control then each other player chooses a non-land permanent he or she doesn't control that hasn't been chosen this way destroy all other non-land mm-hmm. permanents everyone has to pick <laughs> either their favorite card or the card they think is the least effective that somebody else has. And I think right. that that's adorable. So if somebody's just cute. like me and someone has a, mesmeric, a mesmeric orb in play, 
when it gets to me, I'm saying, no, nah, that's staying. <laughs> We're keeping Mesmeric Orb. I like Mesmeric uh-huh. Orb. And then they may be like, well, oh, man, you know what I like? I like Omen Machine. Keep Omen Machine. It's kind of a friendly thing, or it's yeah. everything is such a bad option where you're just like, man, everything sucks. It's all terrible. What do you possibly pick? And even then, the conversation I think is still fun when you play this kind of a mm-hmm. wrath over over some other ones. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so if you're looking for wraths, those are good alternatives to just like, you know, take maybe take out your Armageddon, throw in a fortunate view, you know, just <laughs> maybe do it that way. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the the ones that I would want to draw attention to, um, we haven't talked about these yet, but from uh from Battle Bond, the assist cycle of cards. Oh so yes, it's assist more, is very more right, than a cycle right. because there's more than five of them. But so Battle Bond for people who may be newer or may have just you know missed it when it came out, is a set that was all about multiplayer two-headed giant draft. And one of its key mechanics, one of I think one of its only new ones was the mechanic assist, which is another player can pay up to you know x of this spell's cost you choose the value of x so essentially another player can help you pay the cost of a spell now not Mm -hmm. every assist card i think is equally you know appealing for a new player but there are a couple here that i did want to highlight that you could both you know just kind of politically and also involve them a bit more like i think these do a bit better um the first one here i'll give an example for it does a bit better than just asking a new player what they want you to doom blade uh the first one i want to give an example to here is uh called gang up gang up is x and a black for an instant with assist and it destroys target creature with power x or less so let's say you know a newer player or just any player at the table is getting really beat down on right by a by a card you can go like hey and like you you know, being a more enfranchised player, a lot of like one of the big realizations there is that you can recognize that another player, even if, you know, you still want them to you want that player to eventually lose so that you can win them. Hmm. Them losing right now may not be good for you because that's one fewer player that resources can be allocated to for the investment of like for you to cast this, you would pay, you know, as low as a single black and have them if they have the mana, but maybe just don't have the card to remove a threat on the board, gain a political favor and to keep another player in play with gang up, you know, let's say someone's, you know, they're getting, a, they're getting swung up by Virtus the veiled threatening to cut their life total in half. Right. For <laughs> as low as I pay one black and you just pay three, which three, three mana investment, but no card loss is very much worth yeah, it. That's, almost, that's pretty good. Any situation yeah. to get rid of a creature like gang up. I think one is a card that I think could just be seeing more play. There are some very, there are hate bears that are at, you know, two and three CMC that this is still mm-hmm. going to be good against, even if you're like, you know, fronting up all the mana. But this enables you to save them without having to hold up. Like, you don't have to hold up four mana, right, just to help somebody else out. You hold up one black in this card. Now they're indebted. You have saved another player that maybe that, you know, the attacking player is still going to try to use resources on. And that player is involved in that decision. It's not just like, hey, you want me to kill this with no impact to you it's like hey i want to time this spell whenever it's most beneficial to really lean into that kind of political aspect of it um out of bounds is similar three and a blue for a just instant counter spell with assist new players may mm-hmm. not understand immediately the value of just counter magic or they may not be they may be playing boros they may just not you know be in a color that has a lot of options by running out of bounds you can 
like the two of you can basically just both pay for a counter spell and you can stop you know the game winning spell that turn it has that kind of flexibility there where again you can only pay one blue into out of bounds and then counter flat any spell in the game if you can finagle that at a table that's the best rate in magic that <laughs> one blue yeah. counter anything is better than counter spell full stop and right. so these are things that have very high ceilings. They involve other players. They get you to communicate more with your table, especially more so with newer players who are, you know, who are, I mean, admittedly just through, you know, suboptimal deck building or bad luck on draws may pass the turn, not playing anything, have a glut of open mana. You can then cast this again, one blue counter, a problem spell. They got to help. You have now bonded a bit more. You've engaged in the game politically on that level. And they got to again, be active in kind of that decision. And I like that because mm -hmm. a thing that I feel new players struggle with and some like me, I kind of struggle with this as well, because if I play mm -hmm. out all my stuff, chances are I don't have anything on board it's just a mana sink. I I yeah. just don't typically do it. And so a newer player who's kind of just been playing out all their stuff and doesn't have anything else to do, this gives them a thing to do with all of their mana. Right, yeah. Also, I love yep. the idea of just the, the theatrics because I'm a very cinema... You know, we talked about this before is that I think we tend to build more character cinematic decks than, <laughs> than we do other things. Um, uh -huh. And so the cinematics of like, say, like the big bat at the table is swinging at player two and then player one and player three are just like, well, we need to save player two. So you guys are both spending <laughs> mana, your own mana to save a third player from being killed by player number one. That's sick. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so Power Rangers. I love it so much. <laughs> I think that that, yeah. nice. I think that, that yep. is delightful. Yep, yep, yep. I think that that's the kind the of... Upsides also? Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. What is it? All these... Yeah, all these assist cards, like 50 cents. All They're these assist dirt. cards are dirt, dirt, dirt cheap. cheap. Yeah, really. It's yep. there because, again, it's, you know, like the floor is that I'm paying four CMC. I'm paying worse than cancel, but the mm -hmm. ceiling is so high, I feel like, on this type of card. The ceiling is through the actual roof because, like, imagine if you got a counterspell universal unequivocal counterspell for one blue with the upside of now another player is indebted to you right like the ceiling <laughs> on these cards i think is through the roof at a table and and uh th this isn't directly you know tied to like the theme of this episode i but it's i think it's something that's kind of you know correlated right where um a lot of people um especially like newer players or people um you know i've i've met players who come to commander to kind of get away from what they perceive as the more competitive spiky form of magic but com mm -hmm. like commander tables are just as likely to you know have an arms race or be you know bsc edh table as anything else it's all about the players but i feel like by opting into the decisions that we've been talking about in this episode again with the focus on you're not having to kneecap or handicap your own deck to play these these are doing effects that you will want to have in a general sense but they have like by just giving a bit more group decision to these, even if it's just two players at the table, granted, I think that you can say that that objectively weakens the card. It lowers what the ceiling is because you aren't in total control. But I think it's that it's the kind of idea where you have to give action to get action by giving up a little bit of that control. You elevate kind of the mood at a lot of the tables, especially with someone who's going to be a bit newer, who's coming to commander for that more casual, that more social environment. 
and it's going to through specific card choices you can do that without you know handicapping your own good time your own effectiveness at the table where you can achieve that kind of happy medium that's a a brilliant summation it was almost so good that i i was like uh uh, uh, I actually cut. I actually cut some of the silence. We sat here in silence for five hours as people. That's not true. I sniffled a little it. bit. I sniffled just a smidge. I was. It was a beautiful thing. You know. Uh, I, in same, I muted same myself thing. while I said, "Wow, wow, wow," <laughs> over and over again. But I, um, but let us know what you think. Um, mm-hmm. Are you a kind of group where, like, if new player comes in, you you kind of let them know the hard way, and then they just have to keep playing that <laughs> with you because they live at your house? Um, <laughs> that's just how it or, is to be. Do you know yeah. of other cards, or do you like maybe you just have hug decks, hug decks rather? <laughs> but you have like mm-hmm. like your top end stuff for yourself is just like you know you have a hug deck that has a Vorinclex in it. So, you know, you can have what you want. You know, there there's other ways to kind of deal with that. How do you like to include other players into your actual games? Another way of doing mm-hmm. this, real simple, Monarch gets people encouraged to, like, get the ball rolling, get the swings going up. Oh, yeah. I think that that's good. Yep. It leaves people tapped out mm-hmm. more, too. Like, you know, they're like, I have less blockers. You know, it mm-hmm. creates a good back and forth in that way. Do you do it that way? Um, do you... Does your whole group play solitaire? Just a bunch of combo yeah. decks with no interaction. If so, that's cool. Um, but if you did <laughs> have to include another player, how would you go about doing that? That'd be interesting to know. Um, yeah. Do you know of any cards we might have missed? Do you hate any of our choices that we had? Do you think that the whole idea of changing things so somebody else in this multiplayer game can have a more comfortable time is stupid? Um, <laughs> tell us... <laughs> Sure, um, yeah, but just I out, just just out yourself like that. Just yeah, go ahead and post that publicly online. Honestly, I think that yeah. that kind of person probably would. They they seem the type that would just be like, "You guys <laughs> would like weaken your decks on purpose. How are they going to get better if they don't build stronger than my decks?" <laughs> Life is a gladiator <laughs> arena, <laughs> and I don't care about the weak at all. Children can die. They That's think the that they think that they're the guy with the eye patch in the anime, mm-hmm. when really they're just the guy on the chair watching the anime. <laughs> <laughs> I like anime. I don't know why I'm saying that. I really, I really like anime quite a bit. But I, I also don't think I'm cool. Um, so That's, I think yeah, that has a big, fair. a lot to do with it. Remember, this is a card game. Um, you can be cool in all sorts of other ways, but don't be cool about magic. Come on. No, yeah. do not try. Please do not try. This ain't a Harley. This ain't no Harley. This right. ain't no tattoo. You don't need to be riding around with your sunglasses down, revving in your chair, talking about, I got a mana crypt in here. <laughs> cool. Come on, man. <laughs> I love the Although, beard, like, though. Leather, yeah, the leather jackets for your, um, your magic group, that's pretty cool. Like, that's all right. Oh, like everybody in the group has like matching leather jackets. Yeah. yeah and they've yeah, got their like actually, nickname in the magic sick. group. That's Yeah, that's nickname. Cool. That's yeah. Nice. yeah. Again, all right, real quick. Real quick. What would everybody's like? What would everybody's really cool uh, motorcycle riding Magic the Gathering nicknames be? Uh, uh, oh, God. I'll uh, like this. Um, oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Snake Eyes for my die rolling tr- snake tribal deck. You don't have that. 
Mm. But but that's fine. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, I would get, I would probably just get called Snake Eyes, and it would be specifically because I use so many dice because I'm either running a counters deck or a tokens deck, and just to logistically keep track of things. Like it's a thing Ooh. where it's like once you drilled into it, people who are in the know know that the nickname is not that cool, which is which should be obvious because it is about Magic: The Gathering. But like on its face, <laughs> it looks and it sounds like it would be really cool. I want to be yeah. a Zony Thousand Eyed because I just want to one up you guys, but by a big uh, series of ones. It's like, yeah. So we got Snake Eyes, Snake Eyes, and Izoni Thousand Eyes. Well, I guess with Good. all that said, all right. let, if, let us know in the comments yeah. what's your what's your motorcycle. Name would, be. name would be and why is it snake eyes uh well that said <laughs> we have demonstrated the loop we will now move to the end step and concede so the new player gets to win goodbye Yay, goodbye, goodbye yeah happy ending <laughs>